Mother Earth is psychedelic. Her body is covered with psychoactive, sacred medicine. Can psychedelics help us become more conscious and loving parents, partners, lovers, and leaders? Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, the Psychedelic Mom, a mother and entrepreneur partnering with Mother Earth's sacred plant medicines to heal, awaken, and learn to live in alignment to my truth. Psychedelic literally means soul revealing. What reveals the soul to oneself is psychedelic. I invite you to join me in deep conversations with leaders, healers, seekers, and other parents. I will share my journey, the wisdom, practices, medicines, and mistakes that have changed my life, and personal stories of others on this wild path. We are the medicine needed to birth the more beautiful world we know is possible. I'm here today, and I'm so excited to see you, Ben. I'm here today with Ben Moore, who is a Army veteran who did 10 years of service and was an expert in mountaineering, cold weather expert. And as someone who really doesn't love the cold, I want to hear a little bit about that. You did 24 months of training in the Arctic. Then you felt you had a higher calling and started to really peel back this idea of wanting more freedom and spirituality in your life. And then possibly you had an encounter yourself with plant medicines and psychedelics and then ended up taking some veterans to Mexico and having their own experience. And now it sounds like what you're doing is helping veterans and first responders reconnect to themselves, reconnect to the source of all life with Earth Medicines. You're the co-founder of Silamethoxin. And what made me reach out to you, actually, I had a chance encounter with either one of your co-founders or someone on your board, Ian, Austin, Texas. And he was telling me about the combination of magic mushrooms and 5-MeO-DMT. And from that moment of hearing it, I was absolutely fascinated and was kind of waiting for it to merge in the world since I sat down with him. So thank you for coming today and talking to us about what you're doing. So why don't we start with your path as someone in the military and what that was like and suddenly hearing, getting this higher calling. Sure. This is not planned. In 2018, you know, if you've seen any of those things I've talked about, like in my bios and stuff, things didn't make sense and my life didn't have any meaning. And I wanted to give myself a shot at uh, not wanting to kill myself anymore. So I reconnected with mushrooms and worked with them intensively for about 18 months and was going like every two weeks or every month minimum and doing a program. I didn't realize it at the time that I was building my own sort of program. I was just doing what felt right and felt good. So, and through that, I would have these revelations of, uh, this isn't right. What is going on? Like, why are we doing this to ourselves, to each other? You know, he was reading the news and like, there's people that this was like border crisis time too. And like the COVID shut down and women and children at the borders in my mind like i'm not i'm not commenting on this stuff but i'm like hearing like mothers and fathers of people saying like they didn't earn their way into this place like keep them out they should starve to death that sentiment and the disconnection between the human and the program like the the pattern 
And so the empathy thing, just like I know these things are like in pathogens, but you're more awakening to the needs of other sentient beings. And I was in the machine at the time I was in the military. So like all these events that were happening and me having this realization, like this thing is not, it just doesn't make any sense. So how do I figure out how to change people's minds? Like Michael Pond wrote obviously a book about it, but, and that wasn't sort of how I framed it at the time, but it really does make sense. And I was envisioning like standing on the street corner yelling, like, take mushrooms. It's just going to help your perspective. It's going to help you see because I was that person. I was the closed borders anti coming into this country in 2015, 2016, when I was like climbing mountains in the army and doing like army stuff. I was trained in my patterns to be like a wall. As I woke up from that, realizing that all the people that I served with were in that same pattern and they don't see out of it. It's like being in the womb of your mother and your mother's out like slaying the world, but you're in this like beautiful, protective place growing and being nurtured. And that's how a lot of us are. But outside of this, what we don't see is really not uh, great. So I noticed like I'm part of this whole thing that all these soldiers and sailors and Marines are programmed to see and to experience just want to go back a little bit too, because I know a lot of people in the military suffer from uh, suicidal ideation. So let's just go back to that a little bit, because it sounds like you were in a dark place and that's what originally brought you to psilocybin. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like how you got there, what you think was happening with inside yourself? And I'm also hearing that what you're speaking about are the ways in which the military and so many of our systems brainwash us. They don't allow us to see the full truth. And whenever we're not aligned to that, there's pain inside. So I'm curious, where were you on that path? When did your suicidal ideation start? How dark did it get? I started noticing myself. I would sit in, in my office at my house, just like watch my kids play with my wife, play with their friends outside. And there was something in there it's like, uh, you should go out there and play with them. But then like, there was like, uh, I don't know what it is, almost like a magnet stuck to my body that stuck me to the ground. And it's like, I couldn't go. I had no desire to actually be with them. I didn't maybe think I deserved it. The feelings of love or friendship or things that I didn't feel that I was uh, worthy of. And so I didn't want to share that. And I didn't want to cast my darkness onto my family. So I was like, just going to hide out and watch and think about how cool it was or whatever. My wife actually was like, uh, I remember once she came in and I'm not, I wasn't playing video games or I wasn't literally just like sit there and watch and think. And she came in one day and like, just dragged me outside. She's like, coming outside. Like you're going to start moving around. And that jarred me into thinking what's wrong with this. What's wrong with this picture? But I didn't know how to fix it at the time. You know, I had taken mushrooms in 2013 uh, when I returned from a deployment, my, uh, still a good friend of mine, uh, gave me some mushrooms. And so like all these sour, bad feelings. I just remembered that experience I had with him in 2013. It was a John Hopkins article or something was circulating the internet at the time as well. So I'm just going to give it a shot. So I just went to figure it out, but I didn't know anybody that had mushrooms. You know, I was in the army. I couldn't know where to get them. And so, uh, just started reading my whole life. I've always figured everything out my own and rebuilt cars and fixed houses, built stuff, like just figured it out. So I just went on the internet and started researching how to grow mushrooms. And then I ordered uh, all the ingredients and grew mushrooms. I grew a lot of mushrooms. Didn't realize how many you could possibly grow from just one little container. But I grew so much that I had enough to take and share 
for quite a while. And that just made me want to produce more for myself. And I've started feeling like the connection of touching the dirt, going into the process. And I didn't realize it until after I took the mushrooms. And once I took the mushrooms that I grew, my memory of my energy that I put into that, into the mushrooms, into the growth was like reflected directly back into me. And that became so important to me. And all the things that were like dragging me down, I didn't even remember what they were at that time. It just, they didn't exist. I was so proud that I created something that could give me this experience and allow me just to be satisfied with something that I did. That was enough. That's pretty amazing. Just having your hands in the dirt and feeling the connection of growing something yourself and then in relationship to this mushroom that you're then going to consume, that just that alone shifted. It just is such an example of how we're so disconnected from Earth and when we are, what happens within us. Yeah. What was your first experience like when you took mushrooms, the mushrooms that you grew, trying to seek a deeper connection with yourself and to alleviate some of this depression and kind of gray vibrational field that you were in. So when I joined the military, right before, maybe two years before my mom passed away from cancer. And so I went to a pretty dark place for a while and I joined the military to like get away and do something good with my life and thinking that it was gonna like fix me or change me, but all those things, they were just still in there. So I remember the first time I took mushrooms uh, in my living room, I was laying on the couch before this, how the experience would be with things, the waves were coming over my body. I remember seeing my mom standing over me and she's just like, uh, yeah, you got yourself this far. Like no one else carried you here. It's going to be all right. And so my wife said, she said she was sitting at the top of the stairs and she heard me talking in all sorts of different voices and talking in my mom's voice. So I started learning a lot about what was happening and what was going on in, inside my mind. At that time, is like I was carrying so much of the uh, the things that hurt me, the things maybe I didn't fully address or finish with her. She allowed me to uh, to have closure, and that was strictly through <laughs> the spirit of the mushroom, like connected me to her energy and uh, allowed me to untangle it and allow it to be free. From that moment, I just felt lighter. You know, I felt I could do things without having to overlay her perspective. A lot of my life was like, am I making my mom proud right now? This was like throughout the military. And so, but that, that always made me have to carry her, the embodiment of her archetypal identity, like what she is, what she represents and good, bad, or otherwise, it just creates like a, something that I have to live up to that isn't mine. It's not me. Everything I do will make her proud. I don't have to do it for her. You know, I should be doing things for me and then she'll be proud of that because I'm a good person and I make choices that are from the greater good. And I can't do anything else than that. There shouldn't be anything else to worry about. That process started happening. And then one of the next times I remember, uh, I could see all of creation, like the whole planet was just a blank slate and just watching mountains pop up and rivers and valleys be created within my, within my mind's eye. And so I started to reconnect with what this whole thing was, how connected we are to all the things, all the energy, you know, we're 99% empty space. We figured that one out. Like we're just, you know, we're just fields of energy sort of entangled. And so what difference is that between like me and another person or other things? It's nothing. It's, we are all connected. So I started just try adopting that perspective and less of the, I need to be worried or stressed out about what hurt me or what happened to me because I stubbed my toe a lot and I broke bone. <laughs> it's like those things heal and they go away. 
and memories are the same thing. They're just like entangled emotional neurons. They're just stuck and we can unstuck them. Psychedelics help that and mushrooms helped me do that and help me to sort of see that these experiences are more like pieces of energy that are floating around and you can grab them. But if you keep them stuck on the wall, they're not serving you. They're just there. So we're, you know, doing the work, seeing that perspective, seeing that, uh, you know, we're so tangled up. I'm so tangled up in the past or I could free myself by exploring my consciousness, exploring what's possible. Incredibly profound, just even going back, having the ability to go back into a relationship that you had with your mother. And I think a lot of times it was very generational to have kind of the performance parenting where your child was a reflection of you versus let me help you become who you were meant to be. Why don't you do this? So you make me look good or makes me feel good. And it sounds like reconnecting to your sovereignty, your truth through the mushrooms, and then the greater, the deeper connections and interbeingness of all things. How did that fit with the military and what you had been doing for your life? Were you ever in active combat or anything like that? Yeah, I deployed in uh, 2013 to the Horn of Africa, and we did some uh, security missions and some like, anti-piracy stuff and personnel management and uh, intra-control point stuff. But yeah, I never saw direct combat. You know, we were always prepared. Al-Shabaab was like the Al-Qaeda of the area or whatever it was. So no direct combat, but the military complex more or less is like a program itself. It doesn't, to, you know, not for me, create any sort of traumatic uh, memories, but I recognize it in the, with the mushrooms, especially seeing that the patterning is part of the program. Uh, there's no unprogram. And that's really what did it for me in the, the emotional attachment to my service is the, the fact that there is this massive, it's basic training. It's the work environment is a high intensity, direct fire approach. And it has to be, it has to be because of the nature of the work. It's a perfect machine to accomplish the mission at hand that it has. Unfortunately, there isn't a way, there isn't a thing that helps people to come out of that life, to come out of those experiences and to work back into society. So we get like, really it's like five days of classes that they give you to leave and they're just a few hours a day. And then they have resources, but there's not like a training course. So like basic for my job in the military as an infantryman, it's 22 weeks. And that's like 22 weeks of deep programming. That's really what it is. You forget every song you ever learned, and what would you say that the program is? So if you had to really break down, what is the industrial complex program? Oh, so it's deep. Well, now it's compartmentalized. So like people on the ground, commanders on the ground, they only know their specific slice of what's happening. So they know what the training cycle is. They know where they're going to deploy to. So they, all they're doing is they are, nothing else is, exists to them except that training program. They're not attached to a higher mission. They're not going to go accomplish it, or, but they're not part of that planning. They're not part of that information. And for a reason, every layer of compartmentalization allows that unit to move more freely. So they're able to go and do things that they would like as a human, I would never ethically want to do. But when you compartmentalize the job, some person on the ground has no idea that they're going to go into an area and do certain things that may harm many civilians or may not be something that they would ethically do. But because it's been compartmentalized, we just follow orders. And the orders are, you know, whatever they are. So 
that's sort of like how the system itself works. And now as we go through it and do and execute all these, all these things, it's like, uh, it creates that, uh, the obey and carry out the mission. And that's how soldiers leave the military or leave the army. They do the same thing. They're looking for a mission to be assigned and then someone to tell them when they've accomplished it. And if they did a good job and it's like really like a stepdad mentality, it's like, there's this man that shows up and he's your mom's boyfriend or husband, and he seems awesome, but you can never really make him proud. And that's really how the military is. And it's always getting people to aspire to making your stepdad proud that will never be proud of you. Yeah, well, it's interesting too, because one of the things you had peeled back with mushrooms is that kind of patterning from your mother. And so here you are playing out as an adult, that patterning within your adult life, within the military of wanting to make someone else proud. So at what point did you think, okay, it's time for me to reclaim my life and to make myself proud and find my sovereignty? Before you actually even answer that, what I want to ask is, what are the statistics in the military once someone has been compartmentalized, once this programming has been set into one's mind and they're not even conscious about it, what are the statistics as far as mental health, depression, suicide? Oh, it's bad. 80% of active duty soldiers have a behavioral health condition. 75, you know, overall, like 75 million Americans are on some form of antipsychotic or SSRI. It's a really, really, really bad. Opiates are bad. They're prescribed to like 40% of soldiers. At some level, whatever, if they're doing pain, that's fine. But we know that like you take opiates for three days for pain, you're now uh, chemically addicted to them. So there's alternatives, right? Uh, psilocybin, it's one of the most powerful anti-inflammatories that we know of. We have plant alternatives, but yeah, it's really bad. Just in that, and then like female veterans, one in three have been sexually assaulted in the military. It's a really bad place for that. Well, is there also sexual assault among male soldiers yes. as yeah, well. Yeah, one in four. Whoa. Yeah. So in some ways, all of this is the indication of what it's like when we separate from our soul, from our truth, when we are operating to make something else approve of us and what it's like when we're in a system that really kind of robs us of, it's the inversion of truth, really. So you suddenly are on this path with mushrooms how did you suddenly move from that to the co-founder of Silimethoxin and taking other military people to Mexico? So in, uh, in 2019, I, I took a really, really high dose of mushrooms. I stayed up all night and I remember it was like three or four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I went on to Expedia and I bought a ticket to Mexico and I just wanted to go there by myself. So there was something in there in my mind that's like, uh, I need to go to a place that I've never been. Mexico seemed like a safe enough place for me that I could communicate. I could get around close enough. You know, this was right, right before COVID, obviously. It was like uh, December maybe of 2019. And the next month, January, I went to a psychedelics convention in Arlington, Texas. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I had worked with it enough. And I had in my head wanted to go to the street corner and scream all these things to transform the world enough. So I was like, this thing popped up on my feed. And I was like, ah, it's fortuitous. I might as well go check it out. So I went up there and checked it out. Uh, met a veteran and got to talking to him. We started doing all sorts of like uh, planning and what's possible together. Because we both, we all knew it, what needed to change. And so he introduced me to 
uh, my now partner, Ian, just right after that, right before I went to Mexico for the first time. And then so we met and talked and he had done a, uh, a documentary taking vets to Peru for ayahuasca in 2016, you know, sort of right up the alley of the direction I was heading in my mind. So it was like sort of really a perfect, amazing connection. Yeah. And then in March of that year, I went down to Mexico. And when I landed in Mexico immediately, once I saw that there was a place that had, that was serving ayahuasca in Mexico, I went down and sat down there and I drank ayahuasca. After I sat in my head, I was like, I need to get land here. This is the place I can have to invite other vets. I know how to do it. I know how to do this. At least I can serve the mushrooms in my, in my head. So I got together with a realtor and started exploring land down there. And we were working with a, uh, a Mayan Ejido to partner with them to get land and use their land and bring vets down. But COVID happened. COVID got really bad. And we were traveling during COVID, getting into Mexico to go these different lands to try and figure out how we can get one. Because I didn't have any money you know, resources necessarily at that level, at that scale. So I was like trying to make partnerships and figure out how I could get a flow of vets to have access to come to places to do this. In Mexico, it was legal at the time, constitutional, say legal is a weird word, but uh, in America, it wasn't a thing. And I know it's working because John Hopkins had a study that came out that said like 85% success rate after three months and then like 75% after a year and a half positive the statistics were there. They, I felt comfortable with that and they couldn't do this stuff in the United States. So COVID squeezed us out, unfortunately. And then, so towards the end of 2020, when we were really, we were about to do the land deal, we brought a bunch of vets down and did medicine works and went on an adventure down and explored and, uh, connected with people and connected with the land and went and checked out this place that we were going to get. And it felt really good. It felt like uh, something that was going to happen from that. But, uh, everything leads to a good place. And so we finished that experience, went and returned home. And then that was for us traveling to Mexico. The U.S. turned on like extra heavy pre-COVID testing procedures and then went into uh, the vaccine stuff. So we shut that down. And then as that was shutting down, the emergence of these psychedelic churches and the recognition of the First Amendment and the, the ability for us to uh, to commune with our own consciousness. You know, my partner, Ian, my other partner, Greg, they've been... Uh, they were working with psychedelic churches at the time. It's just, we didn't know it was the thing for us to help catalyze our mission. And that process, my partner, uh, Ian, he'd been working with Toad uh, Bufo for a long time and well-read in the chemistry world. And Alexander Shulgin or Sasha Shulgin had uh, proposed that you could feed 5-MeO-DMT to mushrooms and get uh, long-acting oral 5-MeO-DMT. And you know, we had been, since 2020 to 2021, we've been serving Bufo to veterans. What were you seeing in the difference of serving Bufo, toad medicine, 5-MeO to veterans versus mushrooms? Was there a difference? Um, well, mushrooms is more gentler. And yeah, they're more of an entry to any sort of consciousness thing that's tryptamine-based. Mushrooms are a really good entry point for anyone. You microdose with them. You can take really a bunch. And as long as you're in a safe container, there's no physiological risks. So you could take as much as you could eat. And as long as you're in a padded room, you're going to be okay. So that's a safe thing for like DIY. I would always advise, we'd basically advise vets to kind of like building out, you're spilling out your little space to be safe and having someone with you, obviously, you know, set setting trips or whatever you want to call those things. So we provide that, but the Bufo experience is full sensory experience, meaning like all of your sensors are turned off your hair follicles, your skin, your nails, your eyes, your ears, your 
smell, everything's turned off. And then you go into a pure creationary experience where your source, your energy is experiencing itself in a direct manner. From that, you start to reemerge as the medicine starts to break down your body and you start to come back in the physical space. All this sensory data comes in. You're now experiencing things from the oneness you were in to this divergent experience really instantly, but it's all things because of this experience was so transformative that you've basically forgot how to feel the wind. So it's like brand new and the sun, the glow, everything just palpable, the difference. So Bufo is a much, it's like climbing Mount Everest, like much steeper experience, but the rewards from that experience and the personal are pretty profound. And some of these, uh, the vets that we work with, they've gone through a lot and have gone pretty deep in the real space of their life. And they have a lot of experience to process through. So like ayahuasca, mushrooms, to work through a lot of these guys who've got six, eight, 15 deployments. That's like years of mushroom work. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And so Bufo. It's layers and layers of trauma. Yes. So Bufo really accelerates that. And maybe two or three experiences can work through and get to the point where, because what we're really trying to do is get people to look at themselves as the mission. And as a veteran, you know, you're looking for this mission out in the world to solve at the cost of our own well-being. We're here to sacrifice for service. But what we're doing is we're just sacrificing, but what for? So if we flip and invert that into looking at the soul of the person as at our own self, as the mission, because we are like, I am my own mission as it were, it's difficult to unprogram like the military mindset with like mission planning and all that stuff. So it's easy just to adapt it. And so I am my own mission. Like the way I feel today is my mission. And so if we can get through all the things that we're trying to accomplish out there and get ourselves focused inside, then all the other pieces fall into place. It's like, okay. And so the bufo, like you get to release that suffering for long enough to go, oh my God, I feel really good right now. I want to feel like this forever. How do I do this? And that's where the integration stuff comes in. But the real integration this is stuff I really sort of like to talk about, but like the real integration is before you do the experience. Preparation. You can't leave a messy house right. in a messy kitchen with dishes in your sink and go do an experience to find yourself because you will find yourself. You're going to come home and you're going to find who you were and you're going to go right back into being that person. And so the before, the cleaning up the mess, that's the key. And some of us, need help doing it. And that's what I'm here for. For other vets, I'd like to help them. I enjoy helping them to just look, look around. You have trash on the ground in your house. There's certain things because there's people, the ones that are suffering the most have so much left just laying around stuff, unfinished stuff, unnoticed because it's the thoughts that are happening in some of these veterans, like uh, distracting from what people are trying to do with their life. So yeah, having a program, this is, that's sort of what we're doing with Silomethoxin, especially as like a microdose, that's what helps get people to the Bufo experience or to their own transformative experience, right? Is 
getting something in line. And we recognize that if we have a drag on our life that we can't get out of our own way, uh, the earth has given us these tools to help us do it, to help us move along. 5-MeO-DMT and uh, psilocybin mushroom combination really works amazingly. The first person, the first member of our church, actually, uh, who's a veteran, I had sat and served Bufo to him in a retreat and uh, he had retired after 20 years, but he was full of shrapnel down his spine, his side, his leg, and uh, just in constant pain. It wasn't removed, right? It's not just scarring. It's just still in there. So constant pain. He'd worked with psilocybin a little bit and the Bufo helped him for a short time. But uh, this was, uh, we were in like the research part of our experiment and Ian and I had been working with the Silomethoxin for maybe a month regularly. We're doing bioassay, we're testing this stuff like his mushrooms, it's safe. I took him on a hike and uh, gave him a microdose of it. And we walked around and after 10 minutes, he's just like squatting on the ground, like moving around. I was like, Man, I felt like this years. He's just like, I could see him like just like loosening up. He was normally, he's like just so stiff. Amazing. Yeah. And then he called me days later or whatever it was. And then he told me he rode his bike. For a long distance, the first time in a long time. That's unbelievable. So I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, this is working. Yeah, celebrate the wins. Yeah. So, and that was for me, it's like, I got, I'm orienting around this and this thing. And then we just started crystallizing this and we knew immediately that if this thing was so profound and it worked as well as we're seeing it work, then we have to protect it. And we know that the government is not hot on exploring new domains and plant sciences, yeah, we had to make sure that we we're protecting this. And really, it was the the calling of this to do this. You know, I've been worshiping the mushroom since I found it, uh, refound it. And it's always presented to me as a spirit that guides me in my life, more like a lens in that same way that this spirit's like speaking to me. It's like, yeah, share me with the world. The world needs this. So we protected it as we should. This is our sacrament. This is my sacrament. I take it when I feel I, I want to work within myself. And, you know, really the source, source is like the connective tissue between everything. It's like all, it's like touching everything and sending and communicating. And that's what I connect with when I work with this. And what's really profound more than this like spirit stuff is like in the vet that I was telling you about with the shrapnel, it's like the anti-inflammatory effects, I think are more profound than psilocybin and there's no tolerance. So this is stuff like people can take every day. So vets who are overprescribed antipsychotics or in constant physical pain can connect with themselves. They can connect with their own creator inside and get the physical relief that comes along with all of that. Because we know mind, body, and spirit, we're all, it's all inextricably linked. So there's no physical without spiritual. This is just like language, really. But it's all one holistic or one holistic animal or machine or being. And uh, as such, like uh, fixing one or addressing one thing really helps all of the things. Definitely. So psilomethoxin is legal. It's not scheduled. Yeah, it's not scheduled. Non-analog. That's right. Legal is a tricky word. That's true. But it's just, it's like if you discover a plant in the forest that nobody's named and it has psychoactive effects. Right. Is it legal or do you just discover it? So it's like we're allowed to consume and take whatever we want, really, unless there's a rule against it. But that's more of like, I guess, a freedom. Yeah. Well, that's pretty amazing too, though, that you have created a non-scheduled psychoactive mushroom that also has the beauty of 5-MeO-DMT in it. Is that right? Yes. yes. Chemically, what is this mushroom? 
Yeah. So the mushroom is uh, our Celosa bicubensis mushroom that are grown uh, and fed 5-MeO-DMT isomer in the substrate. And also like they're misted with it as well. Like the substrate's misted with it until they're pinning. And then, yeah, it's fully processed in through the mushroom. And obviously this is elusive to find. There's no reference standard for one. So they really don't know what this looks like. And the testing process how is the experience different than mushroom or 5-MeO-DMT? So mushrooms or DMT, mushrooms are psilocin and psilocin is 4-hydroxy-DMT. They have a certain texture. It's like a geometric patterns and shapes varying in size, maybe in intensity, but very distinct in its nature. And then 5-MeO-DMT has a very, uh, at low doses, it's more felt experience. And then at higher doses, it has a much more uniformity, almost like a chandelier crystalline overlay over the world. I mean, if you look some close sometimes, like to me, it appears like almost like Minecraft, like Minecraft crystals. And when you go deep on it, it's pretty profound, but the silomethoxin at lower doses, especially there's no visual or auditory feedback whatsoever. So it's just like more clarity. It says it works, 5-MeO-DMT works on the 5-HT1A receptor. So that's like your autonomic nervous system. That's like your underlying program that's running, that's feeling and thinking. And that's sort of, that has a, an effect on your consciousness. And then like psilocin, DMT, they have an affinity for the 5-HT2A receptor site, which is like, uh, it's all your sensory data, sensory information. And that's why like with psilocybin, there's uh, synesthesia is very common where you're like mixing your hearing and your taste or your sense of smell. So I'm curious, just as... um someone who does facilitate medicine and serves medicine, I have definitely served mushrooms and then Fabio DMT as the mushroom journey is coming down. Would that be similar? Now, granted, that's a long experience because yeah, you're sure. first experiencing the mushroom, but would it be similar to that? Not in my experience. So at higher doses of silomethoxin, so you're not at lower doses, you're not getting any sensory data. So you're getting like more you and more you is your stream of thought, your stream of consciousness, your yeses, where you want to go. That's more you coming out. So it clears the space for that. Now at higher doses, now I've taken up 3.4 grams of silomethoxin. Sorry, I'm counting squares of chocolate. <laughs> um, 3.4 grams of silomethoxin. Yeah. Yeah. It's very profound, very bufo. I remember sitting at a tree and like my hand was on its root and the tree, it was the chandelier sort of overlay. And the tree was like, you know, those pictures that have that you can animate and it sort of like makes it looks like the water's moving on it. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it was like that, that was happening. That energy was moving into me and I was just sat there for a couple hours, but simple. I remember just being there, not wanting to move and just being feeling gratitude and feeling joy, but not needing to do anything, not needing to solve anything. It was really beautiful and it was clear. I wasn't non-dual. Like I was still a human being. Got it. You were still present. Yeah. Yes, exactly. A very interesting experience. But yeah, so very wildly different than a bufo and mushroom experience. Bufo alone, obviously, uh, you're going to get this like this massive peak, but I've never experienced that length of energy transfer. It was really amazing. Wow. So your mission now is to help veterans and service people have these experiences. And you're using your church, the Church of Methoxin, which is in Austin, Texas? Yeah, it's based out of Austin, Texas. We were a virtual church as well. So 
Uh, we have almost 2,000 members at this point. Uh, we do services on Sunday, every other Sunday currently. And then there's integration immediately following that, which, which is members can come and talk, ask questions. And it's full of like psychiatrists, doctors, all sorts of like real professionals that have amazing insight that can help people navigate these experiences are coming and volunteering for their own self and their own well-being, right? So uh, we do that every other week. And then uh, now we're going to be going, adding another Wednesday integration. Uh, next Wednesday is going to be veteran integration. So veterans will, will get a round table. How many people would you say show up on a Sunday? Uh, last week, maybe like a hundred people showed up. Wow. So yeah, it's been growing every week. And your sacrament is this medicine. Yep. Can you tell me a little bit about the service, the ceremony? What kind of rituals and ceremonial aspects have you brought into this? Oh, sure. So this is the Church of I Am. And that's really just where seekers are, can come and explore different fields of thought, different perspectives, all in the service of discovery, self-discovery. And that's like the sort of the pinnacle or the precipice of what we want to illustrate to people. And we have, there's teachings of obviously like Judeo-Christian teachings, personal stories, Buddhist teachings, Hindu teachings, all sorts of different fields of thought that we bring into the mix and alchemize. And it's led by, and there's a meditation in the beginning led by our, uh, our way shower, Jenna. She does a lot of visualization stuff, which is really beautiful. So it's an experience more than a service. People got to come and like, listen, like, yeah, that we are communicating, but it's an experience that people can dive into. Uh, it's really nice to be a part of that community and share in that way. And so, yeah, it's, it's simple. Like I said, we open talk, uh, give updates sort of on like what we're doing overall focuses is are for the next week or two. And then some of the messages are shared and we talk and then we do a meditation and then afterwards is the integration part. Is the sacrament given each week? Uh, well, members are encouraged if they feel called to take it, but it's not necessarily given physically because we we do the services all on Zoom. Oh, okay. Now there are groups of members or regional coordinators that have groups of people that get together maybe and watch together in the decentralized places, but we don't have like a church. So you can send them the psilomethoxin to members of your church and they could microdose with it on that Sunday and be in the space together Yes, as a community of people within that field of the mushroom and 5-MeO-DMT. Wow. Pretty profound. Now I'm curious because I heard you say you're a dad. I want to just shift gears a little bit here. Because one of the things that I'm exploring on the Psychedelic Mom podcast is, can psychedelics, can earth medicines wake us up? Can they change our level of consciousness? Can they more practically help us become better fathers, parents, partners, leaders, lovers? What is your experience? Have you done medicine with your wife? Do you feel like in some ways it's helped you become a better father or husband? Uh, well, yes. For me, it definitely has helped. It's helped me with my kids quite a bit. I remember in the beginning of the conversation where I was like uh, stuck in a room, it definitely enabled me to work through those resistant feelings so that I could be more present for them and then I could offer them a better perspective and started to awaken myself into that. You know, you can't give everyone all the answers and they're not ready for them. They're not ready for the answers until they are presented to themselves. And so I recognize that my job as a father was less of a director and more of a uh, someone that like a container. I was the container. 
Another space holder. Yes. Well, that's really what it is. And uh, allowing my kids to be what they wanted to be and say yes to them as much as humanly possible. That was my job. That's what I realized what I was supposed to be doing as opposed to like, hey, go do this. Hey, do that. Like, this is what we're doing. Like giving them the freedom to create and to explore doing the things that I didn't have the chance to do. Not by anyone's intention. It's just the nature of life. And when I grew up, that's how most people grew up. So this is, we're in this freedom dividend trying to get there. And so I want my kids to have the most amount of access to that and not ever feel like they have to be a certain way because their friends are or other people are. So giving them a safe place to explore that has been really important to me, you know, teaching them and teaching my son how to, how to build fire and uh, playing dolls with my daughter. Just noticing that that is all that is important. I'm not, I don't have to do anything like crazy. I don't have to go fly my kids to Alaska. I mean, we lived in Alaska, but I don't have to fly them to do anything crazy. I don't have to go on some crazy extravagant vacations to make them happy. I just needed to show them that I would protect their life and protect their freedom and in play with them. And that was it. It's simple because they're, what we're doing, we're doing what I'm doing, what everyone's doing is like, we're building patterns, right? The first time you do something, you can repeat it. And if you repeat it twice, then it's really easy to repeat after that. And that's what kids are doing. They, most of them never had patterns at all, right? Cause they're brand new. And so ensuring that like we introduce like breadcrumbs into, I'm, I'm like sprinkle breadcrumbs in there, like we'll get paint and just leave stuff around for them to like get curious and to explore with it. And that's it. And they just start building those patterns in, on their own. I don't have to be like, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's like the army. That's the army way. I don't want to do that. And what about, obviously, if one person's suffering in the family, the family's suffering. So seeing the suffering of men and women in the military, knowing that their families are probably suffering. Have you found that psilomethoxin has been able to help the family unit? Oh, yeah, Totally. We do hikes on Fridays, veteran hikes out here in Austin. And uh, well, not only veteran, it's focus of veterans for me, but really we want to integrate uh, veterans and civilians. But yeah, so there are family units that come with their older kids and they've done some of the work and they microdose together. And I can see just from my observation, yeah, the beauty that lies with just being, and it's not the medicine per se. I mean, that helps a vet to uh, be more patient and be less uh, stressed out about what's happening around them and be more present. But, uh, you know, it's really just like that. That's helped to crystallize the sharing and the coming outside and being in nature. And so, you know, we all, before this hike starts, we take a microdose. I've always taken mushrooms and gone on hikes and woods and stuff. It's just like way better that way. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we all just gather together and like I said, like sort of an intention and share a microdose and then go on a hike and people bring their older kids and their prerogative, uh, how they share how they share things with them but uh you know it's all offered and we hike and it ends and everybody's happy and sometimes people cry it's no big deal it's just uh we just enjoy ourselves and enjoy just being outside and without any specific end state in mind except just to being there in the the psychedelics especially the psilomethoxin works well in that environment the psilocybin if you take a little too much uh, you're gonna want to sit down Lay down. Or, uh, yeah, but this really plays well because it's down-regulating the, uh, the autonomic stressors that are happening. And then we're able to be more present and everybody shows up for a reason. It, it's seeming to work out pretty well. Amazing. 
So now just going back a little bit to, you know, more maybe politics and the United States government and our military system right now, we're in a war, a proxy war with, like, what are your feelings about this country, how we go about our missions in the world? And Uh, well, we allow it. The people of our country allow this to happen. Unfortunately, it's like a hard truth to swallow, but uh, it's the silence, the lack of courage to change the self. And that's really where where it all begins. And you can watch the news and see all these things and all these people and all these places. It's it's all lack of self-responsibility and all these other human beings want to control the actions and choices of other people. And, and that's sort of where it begins here at home, right? We want to change how things look or feel. And, you know, I disagree with a lot of the ways we approach the world, the world stage, but there's no way to fix the system without the participants being fixed first and being able to see a different system. And that's how we live by example, more or less. And otherwise we just sort of eat what's in front of us and do what we're told. That's like the flow of this. And so if we want to change how the world looks, we have to radically change how we live our lives. And then the people around us will change the way they live their life. And all these things will sort of uh, cascade into the greater, because we demand, like our country demands how the world's shaped. We consume it all, really. And so when we as a people vote with our vote with our wallets, like with our choices, like when we demand because we live in a way that isn't aligned any longer with the deleterious nature of the way the U.S. plays in the world, then it will stop doing that or it'll change its way because it's really all about money and power. And when the power shifts, the machine is going to move into the place where it thinks it can take power. And when the power's in the people's hands, like it's going to morphosize itself into a more decentralized unit as we go forward. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think we should uh, be smart. It's better than uh, sending our, our men and women to foreign countries to fight wars and die. I think we shouldn't be doing that as often as much as possible. This war and conflict should be local. Unfortunately, it happens. It happens all the time. And people get hot and people get, uh, they want to control other people and they want to control land for some reason. Same reason why there's people, moms and dads with kids that will stand on the fence of some other mom and dad and kids that, who are crying and are starving and they need shelter. And you have like four extra bedrooms in the house. They won't let them in because of the way they were trained, the way the patterns were built into their mind. And that starts in the beginning pattern, right? That one thing that we can repeat. And those are easy. And the fear pattern is like a really wide, widely used device since World War II. And uh, we can go back and like the Sigmund Freud and the, all the psychology stuff and like the pattern recognition and how to influence and adjust patterns and how people run them. But uh, that's really what it is. It's just a small pattern that we need to grow into a bigger pattern and getting people to wake up. And it's, it's sort of happening. It's sort of happening now. Do you feel a sense of urgency and do you feel like a sense of a greater mission at this time in history? Yeah, I feel the need to uh, get, honestly, like uh, soldiers and uh, service members from foreign nations all over the world to get together in like a big uh, medicine ceremony and uh, look at each other in the face and realize we're all uh, the same. We're all two eyes and uh, we all probably have kids and or brothers or sisters. And uh, when we like stub our toe, it hurts. We cry. And that's all real. That's all real. That's all part of our human existence. So that's like the life goal of mine 
at its highest high. And yeah, if I could do that, that would be incredible. And I think that the exemplarship of that type of energy exchange would cascade into the repatterning of many people. The military in most countries, most developed countries are the, they're the archetype of what people aspire to be as humans, maybe not like as their job, but like in the ability to serve and to be, go to basic training and do all this hard stuff. It's like really hard. It's not easy. The discipline and the toughness of it. And so all these people coming together, setting an example for all these other people that are looking up to them and saying like, oh my God, you can forgive them. Like, because what we do right now, we think like one of the soldier in Russia hates us and wants to kill us. Like he doesn't, they don't really know you, but their boss said, go over here and there's guys over there. They want to kill you. So you got to defend yourself. So it's like preemptive defense. And we do that. And that's how our program runs too. And it's just easy that way. That's how it's compartmentalized, right? You don't even got to say anything except there's your enemy, but it's not, I mean, at the lowest level, it's not on purpose, right? We are carrying out a mission, but it's the energy that we're using and how we're using it. We so much, it's like give and take, and you can give or you can take, um, but both things you do returns energy to you. And so if you take, then you're taking from yourself because that energy is going to come out of you in another place or direction. But if you give, you're going to receive. And that's where the key to understanding all the things that we do and how we interact with the world. China's doing it in a negative way, but they loan money to all these nations to build stuff. Now they're like own their land. We have all this money and resources. We could do the same thing. We could use all this service industries to help the world build and give it away to them for a contribution or partnerships without like some sort of dark connection. But it's better for us to put you know, rockets and things that are blowing things up because it's the way people make money. But if we could incentivize them to make the same amount of money doing like peaceful things, like teaching yoga or something, <laughs> they would probably do that because right. it is all about money. It is. Do you trust the U.S. government? And do you think most of what we're seeing as citizens is half of the truth, a quarter of the truth? The government's a difficult perspective in a whole, but I do trust some of the people that are working in government, like... uh Shoot, Rick Perry's like coming in support of psychedelics. Are you concerned about the way psychedelics are being westernized, that our big pharma model that caused so much of the dis-ease in the world is now being kind of superimposed on the psychedelic and earth medicine world? Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Money chases attention. As simple as that. I even noticed that in Colorado this week, they were, you know, had a meeting in Colorado and it looked like they were trying to remove the personal growth and personal use clauses. And I was talking to a couple indigenous people there and they were saying like, it's gone totally pharma. Yeah. That's the the protection the church offers. That's what I was thinking. That's why I wanted to bring you on. Yeah. So the church isn't, it's not a requirement per se, but crystallizing yourself within a church is protection. Whether or not it's necessary, that's up to you as a person. But I believe that our founders, as flawed as any documents that we have are the First Amendment, thank God that we have something written that says that we can commune with God or spirit or whatever, how we choose. And then we have had these rulings recently that supported that pretty strongly. So the ability for people to 
form their own communities, which is what a church is defined as it's like forming. So this is, it's like world 2.0, 3.0, this massive, we say corporate model. That's a thing that exists, but we can choose, we can choose to build communities within our own networks and expand it obviously. And from with more people that are protected with intention. And if we build a church around that community, then they're protected. And so then we can work with these things without fear of the government intervening and stopping. You know, SoulQuest has been working uh, with Ayahuasca for a long time, and they've served a lot of veterans, thousands. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for them. And the DEA told them no, but they're still serving because they're following the First Amendment. And the DEA can't tell them they can't do it. The DEA can be like, hey, I don't like what you're doing because I'm the, the lord of the scheduled substances, but they're not the lord of religion. And so they can't even provide an exemption. It's like, that's just like doing, trying, but they're, they can't govern it either. So they can't tell me I can't practice my religion either. They can just say, I, you're not following schedule one, but that's a whole different set of rules. So people should be instead, we fight, we fight, we fight constantly, but fighting never ends. It begets more fighting. And unfortunately, like some of these fights, we have the safe space formulate a community around what you want to do and carry it forward and do it. And then the the system, the big system that no one's playing in anymore, it's just going to fizzle out or maybe it'll continue to exist and people can play there. But the decentralized community model, community sharing, because that's all going to, that all brings back, that all brings back bartering in the old way. And we know we're going back to that. People are growing their own food. People are getting chickens. It's all catalyzing around that. And that's personal responsibility. Yep, definitely. Sovereignty, truth, freedom. Yep. So now if somebody wanted to join your church, how would they do that? And how would they connect with you? Uh, well, so go on the website, www.silomethoxin.com. There's a whole intro, explanation, tons of writing. You can read all about it. There's videos, all sorts of stuff that's been shared. So people can get a real warm and fuzzy before they choose to be a member if they do. Yeah, and if they do, they can go in and they, there's some questions they have to answer. And then once they get approved, they pay their $55 fee. And that that $55 pays for services, administration of all that. Like we're not doing this to get wealthy. We're doing this because it's the right thing to do. And so these things are all being created as we speak and growing as we speak. We want to offer the most immersive experience in my mind, as I see it, I want people to be playing and be experiencing all these different things. And eventually we'll have, you know, all these holistic offerings and meditation stuff and maybe some interactive yoga classes. And we have some leaders in our church that do those things. So, And what about, do you need volunteers from outside your community for more helping with integration and things like that? Anybody that wants to come and participate in our community and discourse is always welcome. And we always want to welcome more more access, more understanding, more training. So if there's people, if you have community that uh, you believe can benefit from this, yeah, totally, absolutely. And we have a facilitator program we're rolling out right now. Wow. Integration, Hope, uh, Ethereal Hope Latimer is, is, runs our integration program and she's such an amazing person and is, has been doing the five, five meal harm reduction stuff for a long time and I uh, really trust her with that. And so this, that we're doing this program right and we're running things like, we're doing a good job with it. So how many veterans have you served? At this point, we have hundreds of veteran members who have gotten the sacrament. 
So I can't even give you a square number, but it's in the hundreds of veterans. Yeah. Personally, myself, uh, at least two dozen face to face, you know, working with them. Well, thank you so much for the work you're doing and for being here today. Is there anything else that you would want a listener to know about you or your work or this medicine? I just really would like, uh, I would like people to be curious and I don't have all the answers. Nobody really has all the answers, but I can tell you that you'll find more of the truth in plants uh, than you will in people. Yeah. So trust plants. I think kind of said it best, like don't listen to gurus, you know, that's us. They grow for us. There's like oranges and all this stuff. We are nature. So go there, find your answers in nature and uh, yeah, find me doing what I'm doing. I'm just, if you have vets, yeah, if you want to connect and I'm fully down and willing to do that, I'd like to funnel people into the direction of their own wellness as often as much as possible. I say no to nobody. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing the work that you're doing and for doing the work that you are doing. It's amazing. Thanks for having me. I'm really grateful. I hope to um, come to Austin again. And you guys don't have a physical location, do you? Not, we don't yet. We wanted to do this really like mycelium, like from the ground up, not going some business thing where we have to make a certain amount of money and pay for a certain amount. Like I just wanted to just be able to give people the medicine as fast as possible. So this is what we're doing. Um, but yeah, and so in April, we have a big event here in Austin. We're going to have music and we have Parangi and Savage, a DJ coming to play music. And we're going to have like a day of learning and teaching and festivities. So that's like the next big thing for us. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's show and want to help build a more beautiful, conscious and loving world, please share this content with friends, family and colleagues. You can follow this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. And I'd really appreciate you taking the time to write a review so that others can find these amazing conversations. And if you'd like to see a video version of the show, you can find me on YouTube. Feel free to reach out and connect with me at thepsychedelicmom.com or message me on Instagram at thepsychedelicmom. And remember, you are the medicine.